Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We've uh, been teaching a series that we've entitled The Prayers of the Church. And we're using Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 as a beginning point, a text scripture, if you will. Paul, after having told the church to uh, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, putting on the armor of God and so forth, because we have a real devil to fight. The whole purpose of the armor of God is that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then he identifies, maybe we ought to look at verse 12 of Ephesians 6, to identify why we fight or where, where our fight is. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's good to know. We don't have to fight against people. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness and high, or in another translation says, heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. And the armor of God is able to defeat the work of the enemy against you so that you win the prayer, the prayer battle or the prayer fight. I'll get it out in a minute. The prayer fight. So what does he say? He says, after you put on the armor of God, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Other translations say praying with all kinds of prayer or all manners of prayer. If you didn't have any other translations, you would, you would understand that that's what's being spoken of there. Because Paul said, as it's uh, translated in the King James, praying with all prayer. Well, if there, was, if there was not more than one kind of prayer, he would have just saying praying and making supplication in the Spirit. Both the fact that he says praying with all prayer indicates that there are different kinds of prayer. So we've been talking about that a little bit. We want to talk a little bit further, a little bit more about it, go a little bit further in that tonight. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 18. We want to talk about the prayer of agreement. Matthew chapter 18, <coughs> excuse me, verse 19, Jesus is speaking. And he said, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree, everybody say agree. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. Now notice he says that it works under certain conditions. He says it works concerning or touching anything. Now if he's talking about things, if he's talking about receiving things, then we know that he's talking about the prayer of petition. In other words, it's the same thing that he's talking about when he spoke of the prayer of faith, where he said in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. What things soever you desire. Same thing as he's saying touching anything. What things soever you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So here he's saying if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything. As touching anything. So he's talking about a prayer that, de that deals with things. That's got to be the prayer of faith. Yet it's not the prayer of faith because he's talking about more than one person praying. it. So what is it? It's the prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement is very simply two people praying the prayer of faith together. Now, what are the rules that govern the prayer of faith? Well, let me remind you of some scripture that we looked at before over in 1 John chapter 5. I think it's verse 14. John is writing to the church and he said, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask, so he's talking about prayer, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, yeah, but Pastor Mike, how are we going to know what his will is? Well, the word of God is his will. Do you say things that are not your will? Not unless you're forced to. Not unless you slip up and make a mistake. Well, God's never forced and he never slips up. 
So if we ask anything according to his will, it's the same thing as saying if we ask anything according to his word, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So the prayer of faith is going to fall into that category where it must be prayed in accordance with the word of God or the will of God. You know, if you think about it, there aren't a whole lot of things in life that we don't know what God's will is. For example, you don't have to pray, Lord, if it be your will concerning healing, because the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we were healed. Furthermore, in James chapter 5, it says the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. Well, God wouldn't tell you to pray for something that wasn't his will to give you, would he? No, in fact, it says the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. So you don't have to pray about the will of God concerning sickness or disease. You don't have to pray about the will of God concerning financial well-being. God said, Paul said by the Holy Ghost, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Folks, you don't have to pray about how to treat your husband or your wife. The Bible gives you clear, clear instruction on that. Doesn't, you don't have to pray about the will of God concerning how do you treat your, your mom or your dad or your kids. The Bible's real clear on that. There really aren't a whole lot of things in life that we don't know specifically what the will of God is, yet there are some. There are some when it comes to God's plan for our lives. Should we move? Should we stay? Should we take this job? Should we, should we not? Or, or whatever the case might be. Specific situations like that, you're going to have to pray and stay in the presence of God until you know what God's will is. Until you come away with a note of victory or a, a, an assurance of what God's will is. But in the everyday affairs of life, by and large, we know what the will of God is already. Don't we? How do we know? Because the word says so. And no matter what somebody says and no matter what argument somebody puts up against it, the word of God's always real. The word of God's always true. And it always works. So here in, in Matthew chapter 18... Where Jesus is saying, again I say unto you that if two of you on earth shall agree, or I'm sorry, if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. It's pretty easy to tell if it's two of you, isn't it? We don't have any doubt about that. When it comes to the prayer of agreement, you can easily identify if there's two, right? So that means it'll work for any two people. Now there are some people it won't work from because won't work for because it says two people on earth I don't know where some people are some people are out somewhere else it seems but for any two people on earth it'll work now we might make a joke about that and, and, and uh, you know make some comments about it and we can make some real funny sayings and stuff like that but please notice that there's a reason for this he said if I, therefore or again I say unto you if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. Asking's prayer, isn't it? So he's saying two people agree on earth as touching anything in prayer. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now please notice the first word of verse 19. Again. Why would Jesus start his, say, start his uh, subject by saying again? Because these verse tie, verses tie into other things. One of the most important things about the prayer of agreement is really getting people into agreement. See, you can get people to agree to pray. But there's a big difference in agreeing to pray and being in agreement when you do pray. Big difference. And Jesus is identifying, actually, he's just summarizing what he said before. So let's back up a few verses of scripture to see the context here. Let's start in verse 14. 
Jesus is speaking, and he's uh, concluding the thought that he's just expressed. And he said, even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, moreover, in other words, he's saying, in addition, God doesn't want anybody to die, anybody to perish. He wants eternal life for everybody. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So what's he talking about? What does he move in verse 15 to speak of? He's talking about stopping strife. He's talking about putting an end to strife. How do you put an end to strife? You get two people to agree. Obviously, the two people didn't agree to begin with. And he says, here's how to get somebody in agreement. The way to do that is take the offense to the person who offended you and tell him. Tell him what? How bad he hurt your feelings? What a terrible person he was to hurt your feelings? That's probably not going to win anybody over. What is he talking about as far as bringing the offense to your brother? He's talking about coming to a common ground based on something that's not your feelings or their feelings, your reasons, their reasons, your justifications, their justifications, but something that you can both agree on, and that would be the word. In other words, if I had something going on with somebody, it would be entirely appropriate for me to go to them and say, look, we need to fix this. You in the wrong, me in the wrong, whatever it is, here's what the Bible says that we ought to do and how we ought to operate with one another. If he hears me, then I've gained my brother. In other words, we put an end to strife. How? Because we came into agreement. Agreement based on what? Well, I, I doubt very seriously. And, and you see this happen a lot of times in marriage relationships and so forth. You get people talking about who's hurt the most. Well, you hurt me. Well, you hurt me too. Yeah, but you hurt me worse. You're never going to resolve that. Only way that's ever going to happen is for somebody to give up and say, well, okay, I'll just take responsibility for it and we'll move on. But very seldom is that ever resolved. That's just set back for the next time. And it's used for ammunition down the road. The agreement he's talking about is coming to a common acceptance based on an outside source, which is the word of God. But here's the other side. But if he will not hear you, in other words, if he won't agree on how the word says we ought to deal with one another, if he will not hear you, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now what are the two or three witnesses going to be witnessing to? Look, here's what the word says. We can't let this go any further. We can't let this fester. We need to get this fixed. Who's right? Who's wrong? Here's what the Bible says to do. It may mean somebody has to accept more responsibility on the, on, than the other one. Somebody may have to take a majority part of it. But regardless, we need to fix this based on the word. That's step two to dealing with and putting it into strife. Step three, and if you shall neglect to hear them, he's not going to hear two or three people. Now, the, the two or three, the, the, the one or two that have taken, been taken as a witness, you've got four people involved now. You've got one person that's offended. You've got one person who did the offending. You've got two people that are witnesses. The two people that are witnesses are independent sources. They're unbiased in their positions and so they can say look here's what the word says they could in many cases that could be a good mediation position but in but in uh, nevertheless the whole purpose is to come to make the two parties come to the place where they're in agreement based on the word so that they can act accordingly can you see that 
That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the context of this prayer of agreement. But if uh, he neglect to hear them, verse 17, tell it unto the church. In other words, the church is supposed to agree. Yeah, this is what the Bible says to do. You guys need to fix this. This is what the Bible says to do. Here's how the Bible says you ought to walk in love and resolve it and so forth. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, what's a heathen man? Isn't that an unsaved person? What's a publican? A publican was a tax collector. He's a social outcast. Notice what he's saying strife will lead to. Strife will lead to division so that it will cost the man his place in the family of God. It may not cost him his salvation, but it'll cost the church to treat him as if he's unsaved. Now, why would the church treat a man, a saved individual, a person that's, that's saved and, and a part of the family of God, why would the church ever treat somebody like, like, somebody like that as if they're unsaved? Because if you reject the instruction of the word, that's what the unsaved do, isn't it? Isn't that why they are unsaved? Because they're rejecting the instruction of the word to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior? Well, what good is it to be saved and then say, well, I don't want to obey the word anymore? If I obey the word in this case, where the guy says I offended him, it may cost me money. It may cost me business. It may cost me my ego or my pride. Well, I'll tell you what it could cost him. It could cost him his standing in the family of God. Jesus is making the point, here's how serious it is to come to agreement so that you can fix the problems and do away with strife. That's the context that he's speaking of. Verse 18, verily I say unto you. In other words, he's saying, truly, this is a, a, a correct and accurate statement. This is a true saying. This is something you need to be aware of in relation to the importance of agreeing together. Agreeing together on the word. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what is he saying? Notice he's saying, what you do here on the earth has a direct impact on spiritual consequences. Or has direct spiritual consequences, direct impact on spiritual things. The action has to be taken here from the, from the earth first. Notice in verse Verses 18 and 19. Let me read these together. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth. The binding on earth he's talking about is the binding of strife. In the previous verses. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you. In other words, verse 19 is the same thing he's saying just with different words than what he said in verse 18. Verily here's the true saying. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. Now he's gone from talking about binding strife to talking about agreeing on anything. If two of you on earth shall agree as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For, here's a verse of scripture we like to pull out of context a lot of times, at least the church world does. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Please notice several things. Notice heaven acts when earth, or heaven responds when earth acts first. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now remember the context that he's just spoken of is strife, binding strife. Can I ask you a question? Is there any strife in heaven? Anything to be bound or loosed in heaven? 
Speaking of heaven where God lives. Jesus is showing the importance of being in agreement. But now stop and think about this for a minute. Notice it says, again, it says, whatever action you take on earth, heaven responds. But what heaven? You remember over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Paul said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Everybody agrees Paul's talking about himself. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. You remember that? Paul said, speaking of himself, that he was caught up into the third heaven. How can you have a third heaven if you don't have a first and a second heaven? Well, what is the third heaven? Third heaven must be where God lives. Jesus just said in verse 14, I believe it is. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven. Where is God? He must be in the third heaven. Because that's where Paul heard things that he couldn't speak of and saw things that he couldn't compare to. He goes on to say, such a one, talking about himself, Paul said, such a one was caught up into paradise. So paradise has got to be the place where God lives, and it must be the third heaven, right? You remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said to the thief who received him, told the other thief to shut up when he was mocking Jesus, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, verily I say unto you this day. He's not saying this day is when it's going to happen. He's saying, verily I say unto you this day, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. What paradise did the man go to? Well, initially he went to Abraham's bosom. But then the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that Jesus led captivity captive. He took Abraham's bosom with him to heaven. So the paradise that was Abraham's bosom is now in the third heaven. That's where Paul was caught up to. What needs to be loosed in heaven? The third heaven. Isn't God in control up there? Anything need to be bound in the third heaven? Anything need to be loosed in the third heaven? Anything not already loosed in the third heaven that God's in control of? Well, then what's he talking about? What's he talking about being loosed in heaven? Now, folks, remember the context is being in agreement. The context he's talking about is if you can get two people in agreement, that agreement has to be based on the word. We know that just from the prayer petition. If we know that he, if we pray according to his will, in other words, pray according to his word, we know he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we have the answers to our prayers, the petitions that we desire to be. Right? So the key is to pray according to the word. When Jesus is talking here, he's saying, here's how important it is to get two people in agreement. Here's how important it is. Because the heavens respond to the agreement that's made here on the earth. And you can either bind things or loose things by two people being in agreement. Well, if it's not the third heaven that's being bound, what's he talking about? Well, we just read over in Ephesians chapter 6 that the rulers of the darkness of this world is one of the classifications of evil spirits that work against us in prayer. Another classification of evil spirits that work against us trying to hinder our prayers Our wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Or high places, King James says. Other translations say wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Well, the heavenlies would be one of the the lower heavens, wouldn't it? You remember in the Old Testament when Daniel set his face to to, uh, seek the Lord? And he fasted for 21 days. And after 21 days, there was an angel appeared to him. And he said, I was sent from the first day that you began to afflict yourself, to begin to fast. And for your words I am come. Well, what took him 21 days? He said that it was the prince of the kingdom of Persia that withstood him. 
In other words, he's talking about evil spirits in the heavenlies that held him back. But he said, Michael came to help me. And if not for Michael, I wouldn't have been able to get through. I wonder if that's what Jesus is saying. I wonder if Jesus is saying two people joining in faith by agreeing can produce increased multiplied prayer power. Absolutely. That's absolutely what he's saying. When he said, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, he's not talking about binding anything where God lives. There's nothing up there that needs to be bound. And who would we be to try to bind something that's working in heaven? The place where God lives. That wouldn't make sense. I wouldn't trust you to change anything that way. Would you trust me for it? Well, who are we to loose things that would be bound in the third heaven where God lives? I wouldn't trust you for that either. I would assume that if God is bound, it is bound for a good reason. And I don't want you messing things up. Can you see how silly the idea is? So what is he saying? He's saying the binding and loosing has to do with the devil's ability to stop the answers to your prayers. Why? Because where two or three are gathered together in my name. What does he mean gathered together in his name? We say for things like church services, oh, we know the Lord's here because two or three are gathered here in his name. Well, there's an element of truth to that. Jesus is here because we brought him with us. But what he's talking about, where two or three are gathered together in my name, he's saying where two or three are gathered together in agreement with my word, I'm there to bring about the results. I'm there to bring about the results. Now, folks, I could stand here all night long and tell you stories of things that have happened through agreement in prayer. But let me start on the other side first. I've had numerous times where somebody's come up to me And they've said, Pastor Mike, would you agree with me on something? They'll tell me what the situation is. I'll go to the Word and say, all right, here's what the Bible says about that. Let's pray. We'll pray, and they'll come back a week or two later and say, well, Pastor Mike, it didn't work. Now, what do I know about that situation? I don't have to doubt. I don't have to question. I don't have to wonder about anything. I know that they weren't really in faith. Now, I learned from Brother Hagin how to handle that situation. Because I just do what he did many years ago when people would come to him with the same response. He'd say, well, then Jesus lied. Now, no Christian wants to stand up and take that position. Yep, Jesus lied. Well, well no, no, that's, that's not what I mean. Yeah, Jesus lied. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, if two of us agree on earth as touching anything that we ask, it'll be done. It wasn't done, so Jesus lied. And they'll almost all the time smirk or shake their head and say, well, I didn't much expect that it would. Well, then we weren't in agreement. That's why these scriptures spend so much time beforehand talking about how important it is to get two people on the same page. And if you'll allow me to, to, to mention page in line with the Word of God, two people on the same page of the Word of God. Standing in faith jointly where the word of God is concerned. Now, one of the greatest things that you can get results in where the prayer of agreement is concerned is finances for either spouses, husbands and wives, or business partners. And the reason for that is they both have an equal stake. Both sides have an equal, equal incentive for this thing to work. But where you mess up many times is because somebody will really have it on their heart. It'll be something that's important to them. And they'll find somebody that will just pray with them but not really be in agreement with them when they pray. That's not agreement, folks. 
Now, the person, the individual's faith on his own can bring the answer in. But it won't bring this multiplied prayer power that the prayer of agreement will produce. I was, uh, when the church first started, there was a situation where there was a, a big company that was out here that was uh, laying a lot of people off and, and they're really downsizing and stuff because of the economy. And so this person um, uh, heard that they were hiring. Even though they were letting a lot of people go, they were letting some of the high-end folks go and some wanted to bring in folks at a lower level so they could save money and cut costs and so forth. And so this guy said, they're hiring and, and they've got you know, 3,000 applicants for three jobs, something like that. I don't know, it's some unreal thing. And, and when, they said, when I went in, I put in my application, and when I went in, they told me that there were 3,000 people ahead of me or some unreal number like that. I'm sorry if I don't remember the specifics. But there were thousands of people ahead of me. They said, do you even want us to take your application? He said, yeah, yeah, please do. I understand that I'm at the back of the line, but go ahead and take my application. Well, he came to church uh, that night or the night before, whenever it was, midweek service, only a few folks there, and afterwards he came up and said, Pastor Mike, I need this job. He said, you don't understand how bad I need this job. He lowered his voice and he said, I want to get married. I had met the girl that he was interested in. She was a fine girl. Went to another church, but you know, it can't be perfect. But anyway, he said, I want to ask so-and-so to marry me. Nobody knows. She doesn't even know. She's not expecting it. But I can't get married without a good job. I mean, there's no way that I could expect for her to marry me if we don't have enough money to live on. Now, this job that they're hiring for, I need you to agree with me that they'll hire me at such and such a wage, which was a, uh, appropriate for the job that, that they had available, and that no matter that there's thousands of people ahead of me, that I'll get this job. And I said, wow, that sounds like a big order. I said, can you really believe that? He said, Pastor Mike, I've been praying about it all day and all night. He said, I know that I believe that God will hear and answer my prayer if only I can get you to agree with me. I'm thinking, oh, brother, trying to put this off on me. So I said, all right, I'll tell you what, give me a day or so. Let me really meditate on this. Let me let it sink in on the inside of me. I could pray a prayer and say, yeah, amen, but let me really get in faith with you about this thing. He said, okay, that'll be fine. I said, let's talk again in a couple of days. So I spent the next day or so thinking about this and really just questioning the Lord about it, saying, now, Lord, is this something we can believe for? Do I have faith for this? I mean, this doesn't even apply to me. It's not even concerning me. It'd be real easy for me to say, well, yes, I agree. And if it doesn't work, it's your fault, not mine. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that people duck and dodge out of this stuff. But if the Bible is true, it's true, isn't it? So I'm really asking the Lord about this. Lord, is there, what do I need for this? And the Lord didn't say anything specific to me, but the more I prayed about it, I spent some time praying in tongues, praying about his situation, praying about what he had told me, praying, praying about the whole thing. Just spent some time praying in other tongues because I didn't know what to pray for, at least not like I ought to. So by the end of the next day or so, I was so charged up on the inside. I was so confident that Matthew 18, 19 was true that the next time I saw him, I grabbed his hand and said, I've spent, the next, I've spent the last several days, however long it was, I've spent the last little while meditating on this, and I know that I know that I know that I can agree with you on this. I said, are you still willing to agree on it? He said, yes, sir. He said, I've been doing the same thing. I've been meditating on it all week long. I'm ready to go. We prayed. Long story short, he got the job at more money than they advertised the job for, got married, and they had a family, and everything went well. 
Yeah, but Pastor Mike, what about those other 3,000 people that wanted a job? Well, they didn't put the work into it that we did. <laughs> Folks, I want, I want you to understand something. Smith Wigglesworth made a comment that I really believe is true. He said God will pass over a million people to get to somebody that believes him. Those million people may be his own children. Just because you're a child of God doesn't give you any special place. It's faith that God responds to. Whatsoever you, two, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they ask. As touching anything that they ask. I know when Beth and I were uh, on the road before we ever started the church, we're traveling from church to church and, and nobody knew us and, and the people that didn't know us didn't care. And, um, and, and we, were, we were really just trusting God from meeting to meeting. And I believed God for some things first because Brother Hagen, I heard Brother Hagen talk about how, how that longer meetings in churches were really something that, uh, that brought the, the presence of God. So I, I just started believing God from the beginning. Lord, give us longer meetings. And there were some meetings we were there for a week and some meetings we were there for a couple of weeks and stuff like that. And other traveling ministers would just be amazed. Mike, how did you get those long meetings? And I said, I've just been believing God for them. I, I can't tell you anything other than that. I've just been believing God. And, uh, and so uh, that kind of worked for you and it kind of worked against you. Because sometimes in a shorter meeting, people will come and they'll give bigger offerings because it's just going to be a one or two night thing. But they know that you're going to be there for a couple, of, a couple of weeks perhaps. And people won't make the same effort to come every night. Some will, but not everybody will. And as a result, they take you for granted. And so in a lot of times, some of the poorest offerings we had were uh, at meetings that we stayed the longest. Well, our bills are the same whether we got a, meet, a one night meeting or a one month meeting. I've never had the bank say, "Oh, well, you know, you're you're in shorter meetings, so we'll cut your payment in half." It doesn't work that way. Your bills go on no matter how. And so we we had a certain amount of money that we had to have every month just to cover the bills. We had a house back in Tulsa that was costing us uh, what was for us at that time a lot of money. I wish I had the house payment now, but you know, things have changed a little bit. So we had, uh, we had expenses that we had back in, in Tulsa, even though we weren't living there. We had to have a home base, utilities and so forth, plus traveling expenses. And, um, and we never put any demand on anybody. We just believed God. And many times people would, we, most of the traveling we did in those days was by car. And so uh, uh, even though our expenses were, were as small as we could keep them, we still had to eat and sleep in between places and stuff like that. Expenses that nobody is covering in between meetings and so forth. So we had a certain amount of money that we had to believe God for and, um, uh, or else. I mean, we can't function unless we have a certain amount of money come in. And it, it took Beth a little bit of time to get into agreement with what we were doing. And I don't say that as a criticism. She'd tell you the same thing if she was here. But I'm glad she's not. <laughs> it's easier for me to preach in some things when she's not here. She's probably in the mother room. She'll be tapping on the window here in a minute. But anyway, we started off on the road. And, and I don't know how to say this any other way than just to be perfectly frank and blunt about it. I was terrible. I don't consider myself to be good now. But compared to where I started, I'm light years better than where I started. First meeting we ever had was outside Oklahoma City. And Beth cried all afternoon. I mean, cried all afternoon. I said, Beth, what is it? What's wrong? She says, Mike, we're going to starve. <laughs> That's a really encouraging start, you know. She cries a lot less now, but, uh, 
every now and then still. But anyway, um, it took me a while, really, honestly. It took me a while. I wasn't one of these people that, uh, that while I was at Ramah, um, Brother Hagen would have teaching his classes when he was gone. Um, there, there were no opportunities. I, I, really, I never preached at Ramah uh, until after we left, and then they asked me to come back some and that kind of thing. So I had no place to work on it and practice and try. And, I mean, I, I was just kind of thrown to the wolves, so to speak, and, uh, and poor congregations that I was thrown out to. And, uh, and so it was difficult. Well, if, if one pastor is thinking about having you in to his church, he'll call the last place you just went. And if the last place you went wasn't so great, then that doesn't really help you get another meeting. And so we, we struggled. God provided. He gave us some places to go. But we found that it was interesting because we never, we never really tried to, to work anything out one way or the other. But it was an amazing thing how that we would be, either, in many cases, would be either the first traveling minister that anybody had ever had come in. Well, you can imagine how small a church would be to never have had a traveling minister or a guest minister in. Many, many, many small, small places. I mean, there, was, there were a couple of meetings we could have had in a phone booth. And, um, and, and, and in, in addition to that, we would be the first person that, uh, in many cases, we were the first guest ministers that a church would have back in because of some terrible experience they had before with another traveling minister or something like that. And so they gave us a shot and we, we came back in. Well, folks, you know there's no flash to me. There's no, I don't try to sensationalize anything. I just tell people what the truth is and hope that they'll choose to believe it and act on it. And, uh, and God, God helped us. He saw us through. But, um, but in the beginning, I say all that just to tell you this. It was tough for Beth to get an agreement for God to be able to provide us the money that we needed, knowing that I wasn't any better a minister than what I was. Just being brutally honest here. And so here I am on the road, driving 300 miles or 500 miles or whatever it is to get to a meeting that's going to have 10 people in it, if you count the kids. You know, maybe three giving units. Believing God for something like twelve or $1,300 a month. For, uh, for our expenses and then on top of that whatever traveling expenses we would have that we'd have to cover ourselves and so we were um, uh, we'd have to stay in places and, and uh, we got a little electric teapot that we'd use to cook dinner in we'd get cans of soup and stuff like that and, and plug that in and uh, it, it was tough we started off in some tough places Brother Hagin talked about having stayed in a chicken coop one place one church that he went to We've stayed there. We know what that is. And, uh, and so one night, Beth and I just really had a real serious conversation. And I said, look, it seems to me like we're not on the same page here. And, and she, you know, kind of teared up a little bit. And she said, well, Mike, she said, I know you're trying. I love you. I know you're trying. I know you're doing your best. And, and it's getting better, but it's just not great. Well, she's come from being around Brother Hagen for the last 10 years. And, you know, now she's stuck with me. So, uh, so I said, well, okay. I appreciate that, but if we don't do this, what would we do? I mean, it's almost like there's an assumption that we're not obeying God and God wants us to do something else. What else would there be to do? She thought it through and she said, well, I don't guess there's anything for us to do. And I said, do you believe that we're doing the right thing? She said, you know, I do. I believe we're doing the right thing. And I said, then you've got to get on the same page with me about this. Believe God with me to get better. I'm trusting him to get better. I'm studying. I'm doing whatever I can to, to learn more. Uh, honestly, the biggest part of it for me 
was not the knowledge of the word. The biggest part for me was being able to be comfortable enough standing in front of people to be able to talk. That was tough for me. I'd have a heart full of things to say and get out there and be a, get afraid of people's faces. And I'd just freeze up. I, I don't like any attention drawn to me. If I'm, um, I get real uncomfortable with people thinking they know me because they've heard me preach. And they'll talk to me like they know me and, and stuff like that. And it's like, get away from me. I don't know you. <laughs> That's a real positive trait to have as a pastor, you understand. But I, I'm just, I mean, the, I do what I do because God has, has set me here to do it. Not because I'm comfortable with it. I, I've, I've never taken the pulpit that I haven't been nervous. And it's only when the anointing starts working that I forget about myself. And, and, and that took a long time for me to, to settle into. Really did. So you may not be able to tell the difference between me and what God's doing. But I'm very conscious of it. Really conscious of it. So anyway, Beth and I wound up getting on the same page. And from that moment, everything that we believed God for, the money that we believed God for, it hadn't for several months come in. But from that moment, we never missed a month without having the exact amount of money that we needed to cover our expenses. We didn't have much extra. We didn't know to agree for more. Believing God just to, have, just to pay the bills and so forth was about the best we did. But even after the Lord spoke to my heart about coming out here and starting the church, we canceled our meetings. I thought when the Lord spoke to me, well, we'll be leaving any time now. And so I need to, to, uh, to cancel the meetings that I can get out of. There were a couple that were still too, uh, too close on the schedule to be able to, to get out of without, you know, doing the pastor wrong. But, uh, but the rest of them we got rid of. Well, now that we've gotten rid of meetings, I said, okay, Lord, when do we go? And he said, wait. I said, What? Wait. I canceled meetings to wait. So I sat at home for about three months. No meetings. Well, there was one meeting that came up just kind of out of the blue. There was a friend of mine that had a meeting scheduled in Kansas City that uh, he had a family emergency and he couldn't go. So I went and filled in for him. But outside of that, for three months, we had no meetings whatsoever. And God met our needs. See, we're still in agreement. We still got the same bills that we had before. It's not like we're praying every week or every month or anything like that. We prayed it. We're in agreement on it. And it stuck. And I can't tell you the difference that it made from the time that Beth and I got in agreement about it and the results that took place. Before then, the money that came in was just pitiful. And we had the same needs. Some people might say, well, God knows your needs before you ask him. Yeah, but it doesn't say since God knows your needs before you ask him, don't bother with asking. It says he knows your needs before you ask him. He knows you have needs, so he expects you to ask him. That's how it works. Well, he knew we had needs before we were in agreement, and those needs weren't being met. Now we've got the same needs, but now we're in agreement. And it's working. I hate to use this phrase, but you'll know what I mean by it. It worked almost like magic. It came in so smoothly. It came in so easily. Because when two people get together in agreement on the word, when their heart's really in it. Now, I'm not talking about just saying, yeah, 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 okay, I know the prayer of agreement is supposed to work, so we'll just agree. No, I mean when two people are really in there and joint, jointly pulling an equal load in the thing. It produces prayer power that you can't duplicate on your own. There's a purpose for the prayer of agreement, folks. That purpose is to multiply prayer power. Multiply prayer power.
If that were not the case, then Jesus would have said, don't worry about getting together with anybody. Just pray the prayer of faith and nothing will be impossible unto you. Well, the Bible already says that the prayer of faith means that nothing will be impossible unto you. But it says when two people get in agreement, it multiplies prayer power. Multiplies prayer power. I believe that's one of the reasons why it's so important to find somebody that believes God like you do. Now, it would have been foolish for me when I was working with Brother Hagin to try to get Brother Hagin to agree with me. Because his level of faith was so much beyond mine, I wouldn't have been willing, I wouldn't have been able to pull my share. Willing to, but not able to pull my share of the load. And I think that's what happens a lot of times. And sometimes it's the mercy of God that sees it through. But I wonder how many of those situations are really the prayer of agreement rather than just one person riding another person's faith. I know that um, most of the communication we get on TV is uh, by email. And, uh, and, and very often we'll have people that will see a, a healing uh, school broadcast on TV or something like that. And they'll write to us and say, oh, Pastor Mike, here's the situation. The doctor is diagnosed thus and such. And, uh, and, and I'd love to come to your healing school, but I just live so far away and I, I just can't get there to healing school. What can I do? I've had, uh, I remember one uh, situation a couple of weeks ago where a lady said, I live 300 miles away. I don't know how she gets a broadcast that far away. Uh, but anyway, maybe she saw us on, online or something. But anyway, she said, could I meet you at your office if I came down, stayed overnight, and then the next morning met you at your office so you could pray for me? And I, I wrote back to her and I said, well, yeah, sure, we can do that. But why don't we just pray the prayer of agreement? God knows where you live. He knows what a hardship it would be for you to travel those 300 miles, you and your family or whoever you'd have to have come take care of you in the process. God didn't expect you to go through hardship. I mean, the fact that you're willing to should be enough for him, shouldn't it? I said, why don't we just pray the prayer of agreement? So we communicated back and forth. And so I told her, I said, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to meditate on these scriptures. I gave her a couple of scriptures about healing. I said, I want you to meditate on these scriptures and call me back at a certain time this week, a uh, certain day, certain time. I'll take your call. I'll be meditating on it as well. And then we'll pray the prayer of agreement. She said, Pastor Mike, do you believe it'll work? And I said, no, I don't believe it'll work at all. I know it'll work. That's why I want you to meditate on it. I think sometimes we make the mistake of praying too quickly, whether individually or together. I think many times we pray too quickly before we get the word settled in our heart. So I gave her enough time to meditate on the word. I told her what to say. I told her what to meditate on. I told her how to operate. So she called me back. When she called me back several days later at a certain time, it was like there was a different person on the phone. Where before she was timid and kind of afraid and kind of uh, weepy and, and, and whiny about, you know, oh, I just hope the Lord does this, that, and the other. She called back the next time. Man, it was like a tiger was on the other end of the phone. I said, I can tell you've been meditating in the Word. She said, oh, yes, Pastor Mike, now I'm ready. You just pray for me and I'll be healed. So we did. Prayed the prayer of agreement. She contacted me about a week later, and she said every trace of it was gone. The things that the doctor said was there has disappeared. Doctors don't understand and wants to run more tests. Now, what made the difference? I wasn't any different than I was the first time she contacted us. She wasn't any different than the first time she contacted us, with the exception of being settled and grounded in the Word. But, folks, it makes all the difference in the world when you can get on the same page of God's Word. Amen? Again, I say unto you, Jesus is saying, again, I say unto you, just like it's so important for two people to bind strife, because it's so important that when two people to get together, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, you can stop the devil's attacks. 
You can stop the devil's uh, operations against you by getting in agreement with God's word. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Please notice again, it's earth that initiates the action, not heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven for... Here's why praying in agreement is so important. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Folks, I'm just convinced that if Jesus is in the midst of us, the problem is solved. Jesus doesn't go places and do nothing. What he goes in the midst of, he goes for a purpose. And the purpose is to bring about the answer to the prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to pray in agreement. Thank you, Father, for the change that the word works in us. We thank you, Father, that as we meditate in your word, as we get it down on the inside of us, by speaking it, Father, by choosing to believe it, we thank you, Father, that it changes us. It changes us and it makes us power sources for prayer. And when we join together in agreement, it multiplies that prayer power. Oh, Father, thank you. What a privilege it is to be able to agree together in prayer so that we can stop the work of the enemy and bring the answers through no matter what hindrance the enemy brings. Thank you, Father, if two of us on earth agree as touching anything that we ask, it shall be done for us because Jesus is in the midst of us. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious name, Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.